0: Sunday again it's good to see all of you as we sing our hosannas this morning and palm sunday i mean it was all about worship wild worship as he entered into jerusalem hailed as a coming political king uh, and then crucified five days later in exchange for a political zealot named barabbas and uh, but he didn't stay dead In the process of all that, God was accomplishing the redemption of His people, of those of us who have repented and believed the good news. All around the world, across all time, who have repented and believed the good news accomplished on that day, and we'll be celebrating that next week. So make sure and bring somebody with you. We've got some extra chairs in here now. Those of you who want to distance out horizontally from other people, you can just put coats in between you or whatever, or, you know, piece of paper or just say, hey, you can't sit here like in Forrest Gump, but that's not really kind, so maybe don't do that. But anyhow, if you've been here for any length of time or you remain around for any length of time, you're going to get used to something that I like to do and do fairly regularly, which is to call us to kind of a 30,000 foot view to see the grand story of the Bible, because the Bible is not 66 individual little stories and it's not a, just a myriad of little uh, morality tales. There are lots of little stories and there are some bigger stories as well. Exodus is a bigger story. We're in the middle of that. 40 chapters. But all of the little stories and all of the intermediate stories all add up and go together to tell one big overarching story. Like the story of the Bible is one story and so i like to describe it to us as uh, as the church as, as kind of like a play a play that has four acts <clears throat> and so act one is creation and this is where we meet the star of the play and god shows up we see him for the first time and we learn he's eternal he's self-existent not, he's self-caused he's in need of nothing he's all-powerful He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. And out of His own volition and choice, He sovereignly chooses to create everything that is. There was nothing. God speaks, and now there's oxygen. There's nothing. God speaks, now there's a planet. This is His power. And so He creates everything out of nothing. It's ex nihilo. Everything. He creates it. And then on one little planet, in one little galaxy... He creates a garden, and in that garden, he puts man and woman, male and female, binary, male and female, to reflect him, to reflect his image, to show forth to all of creation what he is like in some ways. And it's perfect. Genesis tells us he called it very good. And everything is wonderful and perfect, and there's peace and there's harmony. There's no sin, there's no human death, there's no disease, none of this exists. It's beautiful. But then comes act two of this story, and this is called the fall, the fall of man. This is where sin enters the world, because God had given them everything, and He said, you can do everything you want, there's one rule, don't eat from that one tree over there, just don't do that. But Adam and Eve believed the same lie that we so often believe that God's keeping something from me. That's why He says, I can't do that. He's keeping something from me. He's not for me. And so they said, no, mm -mm. you don't know what's best for for us. I, I make the best decisions for me. I will make my own choice. So no, God, we're going to do this. So they eat. And in that one act of rebellion, that one act of sin, they fracture All of creation. It is now marred. And in comes sin and all the effects of sin. Death and disease and natural disasters. Everything that we see around us on the news. Greed and poverty and warfare. Racism. Oppression. Abortion. All of these things. Hatred. Violence. Selfishness. All of this comes ushering in. Rushing in. In. The fall. And this is all just the first three books of the uh, the first three chapters of the Bible Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We see Act 1, creation. We see Act 2, the fall. And then the whole rest of the Bible is telling of the redemption that is in Christ, how he is rescuing us from our sin because all of the sin that we talked about is not just out there, it's in us. That's why we don't do the things we should do and we, we do the things that we shouldn't. And so Act 3 is all about the redemption that is in Christ to redeem us from the fall, from our sin, through His life and death and resurrection. And then Act 4 is the still-to-come Restoration. When God will make all things new and everything that's gone wrong will be made right. All the sad things will come untrue and it will be a return to Eden, as it were. And there's a new heaven and a new earth and no longer do we just need forgiveness of our sin or hope after death. Now there is no more sin and there is no more death. That's over. New heavens and new earth has come and peace and harmony and tranquility reign again and forever. That's like the 30,000 foot view of the Bible that I'll you know, th- run through fairly often just to help us see that. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the grand story, meta-narrative of the Bible. But if we're going to be even more accurate to what it is, it would be better not to describe it actually as a play. Because it's more than that. When you look at the Bible in full, it's not so much a play, not so much a drama, it's in actuality a musical. A musical. Like, our faith is inherently musical. And so what I want to do this morning is show this to you. Because it's true from cover to cover. And Exodus 15, where we're particularly at in our exposition of Exodus, is the first recorded song in Scripture of a litany of songs that you will find. I mean, it's just the Bible is just laced with singing and dancing. And so I want to show this to you this morning. I want to show you that God's story, you can go ahead and write this down, number one in your notes, God's story is a musical. It really is. It's inherently musical. And how Christianity, like, don't miss this, how Christianity is flat out a singing faith. Like it is a contradiction of terms to be a non-singing Christian. Like those things, that, that doesn't go together. If you are a Christian, you are to sing. I didn't say sing well, but make that joyful noise. Christians sing. Our faith is inherently musical. And so I want to spend some time showing that to you across all the Bible, cover to cover, and then we'll come back and quickly hit three reasons in Exodus 15 why we sing. Okay, so kind of a one, kind of a two-parter today. Number one will be its own little thing, and then two through four will be kind of a little separate thing. All right, so that's where we're going. But to kind of get a step started, let's let's set the stage right where we're at in Exodus. And so as we talked about last week, God has like actually done the Exodus; the people have exited out of Egypt. And as they did, they came and were hemmed up against the Red Sea with no way across, chariots bearing down on them. And God intervened again, and He divided the waters like for miles, put them up like walls. And two million people made their way across from the west side of the Red Sea to the east side of the Red Sea. And now they're looking back across They've just gotten out, and these walls come crushing down, crushing all the Egyptians, the armies of Pharaoh that were heading after them, and God has delivered them. He has saved them by His great power. No act of their own, just like our salvation today. It's by the grace of God, not our actions. The Exodus shows us this. And so that's where we're at in this. They've been saved. And so in response, what do they do? Exodus 15, they sing. They sing. Like this is what saved people do. They worship and sing. And so look at chapter 15 of Exodus. Look at verse 1 and verse 20 uh, to begin with. And so verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying... I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. And then verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron and Moses. This is the first time we get her name. We've probably met her before. She's probably the sister who followed looking after baby Moses when he was in the basket in the Nile. That's probably who she is. We get her name here. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, look, it's the same thing as verse 1. Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. And so this is probably kind of like a back and forth between the, the guys and the ladies, seeing the same thing back and forth to one another. But the point I want you to see out of this is everybody sang. Everybody sang. All the dudes, all the ladies, everybody sang. And so for some of you, you've maybe been or you've seen it on TV, like Fenway, Fenway Park, when they sing Sweet Caroline, and it's really cool. Everybody sings that and everybody loves that. But that's like maybe 40 or 50,000 people. Imagine 2 million people all singing the same song. And heaven's going to be even more than that. But folks like, that's the natural response of those who have experienced the grace of God, like you can't keep it in. And God has given us the gift of song to express things that go beyond mere words. Like, we're hardwired for this. This is why people all over the world, across all times, have had songs. They sing. This is what people do. This is what you do. I mean, I've pulled up to the stoplight and looked over and seen some of you in your car. Right? We sing in the car. We sing in the shower. Some of you make a fake microphone and get in front of the mirror and sing at your house when no one's there. This is, we, we sing. We're hardwired to sing. God created a musical world. I mean, even like nature sings, birds and wolves and whales and elephants and howler monkeys, which sound a lot like Russell D. Gill when he sings. Love you, buddy, though. (laughs) But humans sing. This is what we do. We sing because something inside of us, again, hardwired. God made us this way needs to express something beyond words. I mean Nashville's built on this, right? Three chords in the truth. That's what a country song's supposed to be, not this bro country stuff. And uh, that is a direct shot. I hate that. <laughs> three three chords in the truth. Give me that. I'm ready to go. But it's just expressing. Songs express beyond Like what we can say with words. We sing to express. And so songs are about love. It's about pain. Songs are about heartbreak, right? We have songs of resolve. We have songs of triumph. We have songs of depression. And so we sing to remember things. We sing to commemorate things. We sing to praise things. We sing to honor things. Like a national anthem. And so if we sing like praise songs to our country how much more should we sing praise songs to our God? I mean, straight up, if you get angry for, sit, for someone sitting out or not singing the national anthem, but then in here you sit out and don't sing anthems to the Lord, that is a whole new level of theological hypocrisy. I mean, as citizens of our country, yes, sing. Do but even more so as citizens of the kingdom sing. We are called to this. This is what saved people do. And again, you see this cover to cover. God's story is a musical. And so just trace it a little bit. And so you get Job 38, verse 7, right? Job 38, verse 7, and Job's calling out about creation. And he says, when God created all things, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. At creation, they were singing. After every single major work, major mighty act of God in the Bible, they respond with singing. And so at creation, they're singing. Exodus 15, deliverance from like the exodus, like from slavery in Egypt, there's singing. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You get into the Judges, and there's song after song after song as God delivers. You get into the Kings and Chronicles, Samuel, those books... David sings. Like Psalm 18, when he's rescued from Saul, he specifically says this, I love you, O Lord. And listen to the personal nature. My strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. My deliverer. When you feel like that, you can't help but sing. My rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. This is why we sing. He's worthy. He's worthy. And I am saved from my enemies. I mean, if you don't, like, if you're not catching on, I'm going to keep going, but if you're not catching on that God's story is a musical, I mean, for crying out loud, we've got a hymn book in the Bible. That's what the book of Psalms is 150 songs it's a hymn book and i think it's really really interesting with that and with all the songs that you find in scripture and i think it's also very very teaching none of them have like meter or tone or like the style that it's to be sung in but every single one of like what it does give us like it doesn't give us that those things because that's not important What it does give us is the lyrics because those are important. And so that's why here at Providence, like, it's all about lyrical content. That's why we don't sing some songs that you may love and we do sing other songs you may not know as much, but it's lyrical content that drives our songs that we sing. Like, we could care less about style. High church, low church, hip-hop church, country church, Central Asian styles, Sudanese styles, Congolese styles, Brazilian styles, Eastern European style of music. Musical styles are cultural and morally neutral. It's the lyrics that determine whether a song is valuable or not. And if you're truthfully focused on worshiping God, you're not going to be so caught up in the styles actually. Because you're focused on God, not yourself, and so I could care less about styles. It's about content, lyrics. But as you just keep tracing creation, Exodus, Judges, uh, you know David, you get into the prophets and the exile, the return, and you get more songs like uh, like Isaiah fifty one. Which says, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come with singing into Zion. And then just think with me for a minute. If you know anything about the Bible at all, once you cross into the New Testament and you get to the birth, the advent of Jesus, it is an explosion of song. Like Luke 1, right away you get what's called the Magnificat. This is the Song of Mary. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. Right after that, you get what's called the Benedictus. And this is the Song of Zechariah. You get into Luke 2. And all the angels that sang at creation now show up and sing at the birth of the Savior. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is well pleased. And then, Right after that, you get what's called the Nunc Demetis, and this is the Song of Simeon. Fast forward to Maundy Thursday, which, you know, is this week, Holy Week. But in Jesus' life, the night that He's betrayed, He remakes Passover into the Lord's Supper, and it says that they departed singing a hymn. You go through all the letters that Paul writes and they're just shot through with references to hymns that they're singing, early creeds that they set to music, all the way into what's coming for us still someday, Revelation chapter 5, where around the throne will be gathered all the rank upon rank of angels and now the triumphant church made up of all people who are believers from all nations, all languages, all tribes across all time. And what will we do? We will sing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And all creation joins in the song to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Friends, God's story is a musical. It is inherently Musical. Ours is a singing faith. It's what Christians do, compelled, yet also we're commanded. And so you've got things like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Similarly, likewise, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit more here. Verse 12 starts, Put on then, as you've taken off all these old things, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Our world needs much more of those things. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so listen, don't misunderstand. Singing is not the only form of worship. Like everything we do is worship. What... The question is, what are you worshiping? But everything we do is worship. Life is worship. Parenting is worship. Work is worship. Marriage is worship. Being like Friendships, that's an act of worship. Everything we, we do, if your focus is on the Lord God, you are worshiping God. That's what the whole, like, verse 17 there in Colossians 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So all of life is worship. But singing is particularly a form of worship. We are to, to, to sing. And it's not an optional part of worship. It's to be compelled and command, it's commanded. And so we're to sing. And we're to sing to God, but also Ephesians and Colossians, did you see this? We're also to sing to one another. Do these things to one another. Like, this is part of the reason we gather. We gather to worship God vertically, but also to encourage one another horizontally. That's part of what corporate worship is all about. And so in contrast to a blacked out auditorium with lasers and fogs where the music is so psycho loud that you can't hear the person next to you which inherently kind of just implicitly teaches this times about you and God alone not anyone else. No, actually, there's to be a horizontal dimension. That's why we don't have it blacked out. That's why we do have plenty of light. So that you can sing to one another because we are here to encourage one another. Christianity is inherently corporate. There's an usness about it. And so we do this. We sing to the Word together and we also sing to one another, encouraging one another, saying, hey, brother, be encouraged. Hear these words. Behold our God. All glory be to Christ. Whom shall I fear? And in those days, we are having hard days. Like, hold, He will hold you fast. I know it hurts right now. I know it's hard right now. I know you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or, 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 or worried and grieved. Be encouraged. He'll hold you fast. We sing this. We encourage one another. That's part of what singing is all about. That's why we try to, not every week, but we try to have a song every single week that a suffering Christian can sing. Not just everything's happy and boppy and, you know, me and Jesus so happy together. Like, and there's boots on the ground. Hard times we walk through. We encourage one another. And so friends, I'm just praying this morning that you're beginning maybe to realize or, or, or put some dots together. God's story is A musical. It's all through there. Ours is a singing faith. To be a non-singing Christian is a contradiction of terms. We're to sing from creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We see it's musical. And we sing to God, and here we go, Exodus 15, for three overarching reasons, all right? And so the first one, and this is actually kind of number two in your notes. I know it's kind of weird. But the first one, first reason we sing is we sing because of what God has done. We sing because of what God has done. And so Exodus chapter 15, let's read together verses 1 through 12. 1 through 12 we sing because of what god has done look at look at what god has done for them here and how they're singing then moses and the people of israel sang this song to the lord saying i will sing to the lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea the lord is my strength and my song for he has become my salvation this is my god and i will praise him my father's god and i will exalt him the Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Yahweh, hearkening back to Exodus 3 when God tells him, their name at the, tells him His name at the burning bush. Yahweh is His name. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of Your majesty, You overthrow Your adversaries. You send out Your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Verse 8, I love the poetry here. At the blast of Your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds. Doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. And then the end of verse 21 again. Miriam, sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. And so we sing because of what God has done, not what we do. Right? Nowhere in here do you see Moses or Miriam like like lifting themselves up, saying, look what we did, right? Neither of them channel their inner Freddie Mercury and start singing, we are the champions. No, they sing, He is the champion. He has triumphed. He has brought victory. He has rescued us. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And friends, that's what ignites and fuels worship when you recognize what God has done for you. Like when we recognize that we have been, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have been redeemed. You have been saved by no act of your own. At God, knowing full well every recess of your heart, every God-belittling moment, every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit, God, knowing all of that, still chose to redeem you, to rescue you, to bring you into His family. When you understand that, how can, you, how can we not respond It's something deeper than words. We sing because of what Christ has done, his sinless life in the place of our sin-filled lives, his undeserved punishment for sin, in the place of our deserved punishment for sin, and his glorious Easter Sunday morning resurrection. That's a foreshadowing of our someday resurrection. Knowing what you deserve and what God has done to rescue you, how can our lips stay closed? We sing because of what God has done. Secondly, and number three in your notes, again, I know this is weird. But secondly, we sing because of who God is. So what he's done and who he is. And so, like when I read through verses one through twelve, it almost reads like a little cliff notes version of like a list of the attributes of God. It's just all these things about God, who he is. Moses praises him for being a personal God, that he's my strength, my song, my salvation, on and on. Verse 3 praises God that he is a warrior God. And he's a man of war. You're like, well, what's up with that? Well, like, I am a huge Marvel fan. I love all the Marvel movies. I've seen all 3,000 minutes of the movie. I love them 3,000, right? That's what that's about. I've seen every minute of that. WandaVision just finished. Now, uh, episode two on Friday of, of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was on. Watch that. Good stuff. Love all that, right? Marvel. But the coup de grace, or the main point of all the Marvel movies... Like if if Disney just like, "Mm, we need a little cash, what do we do? Make an Avengers movie. You make an Avengers movie, that's just printing up money, right? Avengers. That term. God is an Avenger. That's what this verse is about. Like He will not let injustice go on forever. His people cried out to Him, Lord, we are in bondage. We are in slavery. Rescue us from this. This is not right. Please. Please. And He heard their cry, and He came after them. He avenged them. Verse 7 says, He sent out His fury. God does this. And so friends, God fights for you. Do you, you have a warrior God who has already won the battle on the cross. Already won that battle. We're just waiting for Him to come back and consummate all things. But even right now, He fights for you. Whatever's going on in your life, you're not alone in that. You're like, well, He hasn't done anything for 20, 30 years. 400 years for the Egyptians. We don't always understand His timeline. It doesn't change the fact of the matter that He fights for us. He loves us. Now, you fight for your kids, right? Somebody mess with my kids. I mean, I've told you, I'm like, you know, buck 60 dripping wet, but I'm going to fight with all that I got. I'm probably get my butt kicked, but going to fight. God will never lose. God will never lose. He fights for His people. Praise Him. That He fights for you. Praise Him for His mighty power. Verse 6. Verse 11. For His holiness, His uniqueness, that He is not like us. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Lowercase g, making fun of the Egyptian puny gods that He just showed were actually nothing. Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love. This is His covenantal love. The big word's is in Hebrew. It's a word we can't fully put into terms, but He will never quit. He will never stop loving us. And so when you want to express these ideas, you can't express them with mere words. It takes song. And that's what, song, that's what singing is. Miriam and Moses are just trying to help us frame. And they're saying, behold, your God, worship Him in His splendor. Worship Him in His majesty for what He's done, for who He is. And then finally, number three, which is actually number four in your notes. For what He is doing and what He will do. We sing because of what God is doing and will do. And so when we looked at verses 1 through 12, again, that was all looking back on what He did. How He delivered them from the Egyptians through the Red Sea. And then, when you get to verse 13, everything's looking forward to what he's doing in this moment and what he will do. So, look at verse 13 with me. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan, like this is where they're going to go. They're going to travel through these areas on their way to the promised land and the people are terrified because they've heard about this God who did what He did at the Red Sea. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in, talking about His people, and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And so again, this hasn't happened yet. They're not in the promised land. They're not to Mount Zion in Jerusalem where he would build his temple. But Moses is seeing of it as if it's already happened. And here's why his confidence is so high that he would even put it in the past tense. And it's a lesson for all of us. What God has done in the past should give us confidence of what he will continue to do in the future. How he has kept his promises in the past and proved them or and or should give us confidence that he will keep his promises in the future. This is what fuels Moses' faith about what God will do. Because God's not just going to stop, like all of a sudden, being faithful. I think I'm done being faithful. Like, that's not God. He he is faithful. He has steadfast love for His people. He's not just going to stop loving you then. Therefore, He's not going to just stop being patient with you. He's not going to stop being gentle and lowly with you. He's not going to stop transforming you. Convicting you of sin and chipping away at those areas. He wants to knock off and, you know, reform you into the statue he's building. And sometimes that's, you know, tink, 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 and sometimes that's sledgehammer, whop. But he's not going to stop doing that. He will accomplish what he began with you. And friends, the proof that we have of this is even greater than Moses here. The proof we have is a cross and an empty tomb. And an occupied throne where even right now Jesus is interceding for us on our behalf. Like Jesus has accomplished this. He will bring us all the way home. That fourth act of the story, the musical restoration will happen. And God will usher in, Jesus will return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth and gone will be tears and pain and sin and death. Again, not just sin forgiven and hope and death, but sin eradicated, death extinct. It doesn't exist anymore. Everything made right. And peace and harmony and tranquility restored. Full fellowship with God we, he will be with his people and we will he will be our God and verse 18 the Lord will reign forever and ever visibly like right now it's invisible someday it will be visible but even until that day Jesus promises I will be with you always even to the end of the age. And so, child of God, lift up your voice and sing. Sing because of what He's done. Sing because of who He is. Sing because of what He's doing and will do. Like He is why we sing. And because of what He's done in our lives, now we can sing... Because I'm happy. We sing because we're free. His eye is on the sparrow, right? And I know he watches even me. Sing to the Lord. Let's pray. God, you are worthy. That That is the heartbeat of the scriptures you are worthy to receive honor and glory and power and majesty and might for you were slain jesus and you have redeemed people from every tribe and nation and language on the planet and you are worthy And we cry forth, you worth, ship. You are majestic in holiness and splendor and might and power. In need of nothing, and yet you love us. And yet you redeem us. And yet you fight for us. And yet you come after us. And you care for us. And you bind up our wounds. You heal us. You change us. You rescue us from sin and death that we deserve, every one of us, because of our rebellion. And yet you offer forgiveness. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus name. Amen. There's one more place where Exodus 15 is actually mentioned in scripture. And it's in the book of Revelation. John in his, the Apostle John in his Revelation. Here's a remix of The song of Moses. Chapter 15, verse 3 says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord? And glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In other words, they're saying to us, behold our God.